Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo and I hope wherever you're listening from, you're staying safe and well. On today's episode, I'm joined by two brilliant writers who'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on in our Book Off. My first guest is a journalist whose latest novel is a feminist western called Outlawed. She joins us today from Brooklyn. Anna North, hello, welcome to you. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's our absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And my second guest is an acclaimed script editor who has published her debut novel under a pseudonym. Ooh, very secretive. <laughs> the book is called The Coven and the author is Lizzie Fry. Hello and welcome to you. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to have you both here connecting Brooklyn with Devon and me in London. So how is Brooklyn where you are, Anna? Uh, Well, it just started snowing, which is pretty. Um, You know, I think like a lot of places, we're kind of hanging in there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think think that's probably safe to say for all of us. And I also think it would be safe to say, Lizzie might agree, that I bet the snow you've got in Brooklyn is a little bit thicker than the snow that we've had in the UK recently. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had the tiniest dusting down here in Devon. My youngest actually made the world's tiniest snowman on the doorstep. Uh, (laughs) And it was literally gone by Sunday lunchtime. So, yeah, we haven't had much. We still got excited, though, didn't we? We still got excited. (laughs) We did. We did. (laughs) So over the next sort of... 40 minutes or so, I want to talk about your books and I want to talk about films and writing and I'm really excited to hear your pictures in the book off a little later on. And I also feel that both of your latest novels sort of cross over and have a similarity in theme, so it's great to have you both on together. Uh, Anna, if I could start by talking about Outlawed, because there's so much to go at here i mean the book is set in an alternative past so you just tell us to start with what sparked the idea for this story yeah so it actually um you know it's funny i was um not anywhere near near the west for this uh, when i first got the idea um i was traveling uh in new hampshire in the northeast um with some friends and i visited a shaker dwelling so 
the Shakers were sort of uh, separatist religious sects in the 19th century. Um, the thing about them is that they were celibate. They didn't marry. They didn't have children. They lived sort of communally together in these dwelling houses. Um, I just became really interested in them and in the, this idea of sort of separatists living out in the woods, you know, being kind of a little bit cut off from mainstream society. And also this issue of reproduction. It was a time when um, my husband and I were thinking about whether we would have a child. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old now. Um, you know, and so I was sort of interested in the idea of people who would take themselves out of this, you know, thing that's so emphasized in, you know, so much of contemporary culture. Um, I started writing and I started writing. It kind of wasn't coming together. Everything was just a little bit bad. I just was really not satisfied. Um, and then I started thinking more about Westerns. I wasn't reading a ton of conventional Westerns, but I was reading uh, this comic called Crazy Cat from the 19-teens and the 1920s. It's actually set <laughs> in... Sounds good. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, it's set in Arizona. Um, it also stars a cat who is sort of gender fluid. The cat goes by different pronouns at different times. I started thinking about the West as sometimes this kind of space of certain kinds of freedoms, certain kinds of play with gender, with sexuality, with family. Um, and then I was like, what if I make the book a Western? And from there, it kind of opened up. And then I felt like I was able to write. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is a, a great read, as both these books are. And you're on the east coast of America at the moment, but you grew up on the west. Is that that's right? I'm from California. And I think that's part of why um, it was just easier for me to start writing a Western. I, you know, I, I think even though I've been I've been here in New York for 10 years now, sometimes I still struggle to capture the Northeastern landscapes in my fiction. I think it's just, you know, it's like not laid down in my memory in the same way as the landscapes of the West. And so, and especially because I've also been really homesick, you know, the last long time living, living out here pretty far from California. So I think kind of, you know, conjuring up these red rocks and dust, it sort of it came more easily to me because of that. I want to talk more about it in just a moment. Lizzie, if I can bring you in to talk about The Coven. Um, and as with Anna's book, there's there's lots to cover in yours too. And, and it's set in a world where witchcraft is real. Can you just tell us a little bit about what made you want to write this particular world? Well, I think, I mean, like Anna's book, it's set in a parallel world. But the whole kind of point of it is that everything about it, although maybe unreal, it's actually kind of touching on things that are really happening thematically in our world as well. And I was really interested in telling a story about feminism and about misogyny, but also about how we don't always notice things going on right in front of our faces as well. Um, and so I was also incredibly interested in the notion of witchcraft because I grew up in Devon and around the West Country and I'm, I'm very, um, uh, I spend a lot of time in Cornwall as well, which um, obviously has a lot of uh, kind of witch and pagan and druid stuff happening down there as well. And uh, one thing that I discovered when I was growing up was that Exeter, is the first, officially the first and last place that hanged a witch 
in uh, many of the witch trials. Is it really? Wow. It is, it is. Yeah, there's a big uh, kind of memorial to them over at uh, Heavy Tree. The three women that were hanged at Heavy Tree in Exeter were known as the Biddeford witches um, from the north coast of Devon. And I grew up out near Ilfracombe, which was very, very close. Um, And when I was a teacher, I used to go and have my lunch near this monument. And I used to kind of read the monument to the Biddeford witches and think, you know that's just such a story and there's so much misogyny happened in the past and and a lot of these women you know they were healers and they were nurses and they helped their communities and then their communities just basically turned on them just just like that Mm. and and it was just horrifying to me that society could just betray these women in such horrific ways and uh, I just felt really compelled that I had to write a story involving witchcraft and involving the West Country and actually just really think about you know what what would happen today if there was a witch hunt what would happen um and of course as we know with things going on in the world with you know certain presidents that have just left and things like that and also other governments including our own um you know obviously it would go extremely badly for women who have any kind of magic if they decided to go up against them. So, uh, yeah, basically that's that's the story that I wanted to tell in The Coven. And what's, what's great is that we've got the sort of Western, the Anna's, written. And then, not that we call it this in the UK, but I suppose it is a sort of Western <laughs> in the sense that we're talking about Cornwall and Devon. Um in your book, Lizzie. And actually, uh, I had an author called CJ Tudor on uh, this series of Book Off in our first episode, and she was talking about East Sussex as being a sort of place where there's lots of that paganism and stuff, which is near where where I grew up. And it is, it, you really can sense it, I think, if you're in certain places, uh, much like you were saying in, in Devon, I think um, in Exeter, you really can sort of get a mm-hmm. vibe can't you of, of that stuff oh yeah yeah I think that's absolutely correct and and also just as um, uh, writers it's just incredibly inspiring to be around such amazing scenery anyway and then when you go and feel that sense of history I was visiting you know ex drowning pools and mm. hanging sites and and places like that and just really kind of letting it seep into me when I was when I was writing and and really kind of I became a little bit obsessed actually I was uh, you know, on Saturdays, I'd say to my husband, because I don't drive, so I'd say to my husband, will you drive me to this place? He was like, another drowning pool. I was like, yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, he, he drove me all over Devon and Cornwall at one point. Come on, love, it'll be fun. Here's a bit of a day trip for you. Yeah. Um, I'll come, come back and talk about, uh, you've already mentioned a, a US president, Lizzie. We'll come back and talk about him mm-hmm. in a moment. But, um, Anna, I, I mentioned... This was a feminist Western. Um, and I felt there was a nod to Margaret Atwood in the book. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I wondered if she was sort of one of your influences. Um, yeah, I'm certainly a big Margaret Atwood fan. And it's funny to, um, you know, the, that um, in the coven that, you know, that witchcraft plays such a role because there's also, um, you know, there's an element of allegations of witchcraft in this book, too, and thinking about, um, mm. you know, at various points, women are accused of being witches. So I think it's so interesting to think about sort of the, you know, the history of the history of witchcraft and allegations of witchcraft and the way it parallels just the history of misogyny and also the history of, um, 
you know, just the history, as you say, of the way that female healers have been treated, you know, some of um, early midwives were stigmatized as witches. Um, it's a fascinating and sort of disturbing history. Um, but yes, definitely, um, you know, Margaret Atwood, other, other authors, um, Louise Erdrich was a big influence, um, and she's written, um, you know, also to some degree about this region. Um, so certainly, um, you know, those played a role. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about Ada then and and her story? Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the book is set in, um, in 1894, 1895, but it's an alternate version. I mean, as again, as in your book, um, you know, an alternate version of the real world. It's not quite set in the real world, um, you know, and in this world, um, there's actually been a deadly flu pandemic in 1830. Oh, wow. Um, I know, which I wrote this, you know, long <laughs> enough ago that I did not know what we would be facing when it came out. Um, but have certainly read it in a different light as I've been doing my copy edits and things. Um, but uh, yeah, but so there's this deadly pandemic in 1830. And there actually was a deadly pandemic in 1830 uh, worldwide, but it, it wasn't um, quite as severe as in the book. So in the book, it actually destroys the United States. Um, you know, it has such a devastating effect on the population. Very few people are left alive. Um, former Americans sort of live in these independent towns dotted across what was what used to be the U.S. Um, and they become really obsessed with reproduction. They become really obsessed with this idea that they should replace the lost population, the people who are lost in the flu, and also just sort of with the idea that with babies comes hope and that there was, you know, and that the pandemic can sort of destroy hope in a certain way. Um, and so their religion is built around it, their society and culture is built around it. And then um, people who are infertile, especially women, are really heavily stigmatized. So here's Ada, she's 17 years old, she gets married, um, but in a year she doesn't get pregnant. So now she's treated as a barren woman, she's going to be ostracized, she could be hanged as a witch, all sorts of, um, you know, fates could befall her. Um, and she has to figure out what she's going to do and how to save herself. Um, she's also studying to be a midwife. She's studying under, under her mother, who's a midwife. Um, and she has to figure out, um, you know, she goes on the run. Um, she eventually meets a gang of outlaws known, known as the Hole in the Wall Gang. And they're a, a sort of twist on the real life Hole in the Wall Gang that existed in the real life 1890s. Um, and she has to decide if she's going to join up with them and their mysterious leader known as the Kid. Um, this gang has, uh, you know, this sort of this sort of dangerous plan to provide kind of a safe haven for women like Ada. Um, but Ada has to decide: is this going to work out? Is this something she wants to kind of throw in her lot with? And that sort of that's the action of the book and her her sort of um, her story of figuring out not just how she can be safe, but also what is she going to do with her life and what is she going to do with her skills. Sounds fascinating. It sounds it sounds to me like it's kind of like a Western version of Gilead meets True Grit, which I think which I think sounds <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I think there's a little a little bit of both in there. Yeah, that's a pretty good Absolutely. summary, Lizzie. <laughs> yeah, we'll stick that on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I love Margaret Atwood. She's fantastic as well. She retweeted me once, and I fangirled <laughs> for days. <laughs> That's that's the biggest. <laughs> that was sort of a massive day, wasn't it, in the literary oh, calendar when it, she retweeted you? It really was, and it was a quote tweet as well. So I was like, "Oh my god, oh, god, <laughs> look at you mixing with the high and mighty." <laughs> yeah, it happens about four. It happens literally about four years ago, and I still dine out on it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> 
and Lizzie, I said I'd come back to uh, the president. Um, not specifically, you know, the one that has left the White House very recently, as you mentioned, but more that, you know, the book centres around specifically a US president making a decision about mm-hmm. witches. And I just wondered why it was important or why you wanted it to be a US president and, and also why you wanted to sort of tell the story between the USA and, and the UK. I just thought it was really important, I think, as the kind of leader of the free world. You know, we'd seen such a such a bad example set by um, certain uh, groups of people who, who, you know, throw women under the bus. You know, it, it, it's so much misogyny has happened in the last or like five years, obviously throughout in the entire history, but especially when women themselves are also voting for a man who said, grab him by the, you know what, you know, it's like, wow, that's incredible. How can that be happening? Um, and, and the idea that the, that what women specifically white women would, would actually throw their mantle behind a man like that was extraordinary yeah. to me. Um, and so I felt it was really important to kind of look, at the juxtaposition of the USA and the UK because the UK does kind of pride itself as being this kind of forward-thinking progressive nation but as we've seen also in the last five years we've had things like Brexit and um, a lot of uh, Covidiacy going on here under the guy <laughs> under the guise of you know forward-thinking and and I'm too clever to be caught out by the government nonsense all that kind of stuff so I thought it was really really important that I make that juxtaposition that you know whether it's overt or covert you know misogyny still happens in the western world and uh, I was really worried when I was writing the president's speeches in the coven because I kept thinking god is this too OTT so I kept sending it off to my beta readers and saying you know is this is this worse than than Trump and people kept coming back with with actually, it's it's not as it's not as OTT as the real guy. <laughs> so that so that was weird. That was very strange because I was really really concerned about writing something that was too bombastic and too kind of, you know, just OTT. But apparently not. So that that's that's good. It's just it seems really odd, especially because I'm a script editor as well. That nobody script edited the world for the last five years it's like too too much is going on you know with these crazy governments and pandemics and you know the series finale is getting out of control you know it's really jumped the shark as we say in screenwriting <laughs> jump the shark is that what it is yeah yeah it was <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's when a TV show go it's when a TV show goes absolutely crazy and the writers just keep throwing all <laughs> kinds of mad stuff in there, you know. And now we're on the now we're on the pandemic. It's like, no, this is getting way out of control. <laughs> we we need to, the world needs cancelling. We need to cancel this TV show. <laughs> um well, I think you've both sold your books uh, incredibly well there and um, I really loved reading both of them and I can recommend them very highly. Before we find out um, about the books you're putting forward for the book off, I actually just wanted to talk about uh, films a bit and and Lizzie, you know, I mentioned you're a script editor as you just have as well. Uh, And Anna, I think maybe in your earlier journalistic years you 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 reviewed some films as well am I right in thinking that I was a movie that was like one of my very first journalistic jobs in college I was a film critic um for my college paper um so yeah way back it was fun it was one of the most fun (laughs) jobs I've ever had really fun I'll bet so we're all right 
we're all fans of books and we're obviously all fans of movies. So what I wanted to ask, first of all, to you, Lizzie, is whether, you know, you know, coming from that sort of screenplay world, how did you have to change your brain to write a novel? That's a really interesting question, because to be honest, I don't really feel like I need to change my brain too much (laughs) because as far as I'm concerned, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV script, whether it's a book, it's all storytelling. And uh, that's something that I always talk about with my writers as well. I always say to them, you know, does it necessarily have to be a... They'll very often come to me and say it has to be a screenplay or it has to be a book. And I'll say, "Mm, does it? You know, you can actually adapt these things, Um, uh, you know, and and what starts in books ends up in movies anyway. There's a huge convergence there. So as far as I'm concerned, the visuals and the description and dialogue and all that kind of stuff, it's all the same. The, The biggest pain in the bum for me as a writer who doesn't like writing, because I'm not sure that any of us really do, deep down because we're just like we're masochists or something um it's that it's that novels are so much longer than even a feature screenplay it's just like so long it takes so much I mean I think the average book is something like 80 to 90 thousand words where the average movie script is something like uh, 120 pages but that only kind of translates usually to about 25 thousand words so (laughs) it's like four it's like four times longer to write a novel and that's what's the real killer for me it's just the actual kind of getting the bum in the chair and just writing the book and going oh my god why did I decide to make it a novel instead of a screenplay why did I do it to myself I'm doing it right now it's uh, uh oh god I just I, I I must torture myself I don't know why I do it <laughs> but do you do you think quite visually when you're writing then yeah, I think so. I mean, I love visuals and visuals are so important in screenwriting. It is a visual medium. And I actually kind of uh, learned a lot from screenplays that I put in the coven. I've, I was talking to a lot of friends who work in the studio system in America in Hollywood mm. and they were talking about set pieces and in like the big budget big budget tentpole movies, you know, the Marvel movies, the DCs, all that kind of stuff, yeah. and how they often have these moments, these big visual moments that they build all the other scenes around. And that really kind of set my brain on fire and went, I'm going to have set pieces in the coven. And there's lots of different set pieces that actually happen. And I don't want to spoil them for anyone, but they were my favourite parts to to write. And my very favourite uh, part I called Attack of the Feral Tweens, and that happens in the mid part point of the book yes. i absolutely loved that one <laughs> that was so much fun yes and readers can look out for those now you know now you mm-hmm. know yeah you pick up the book yeah. uh, and anna i can i can picture your book uh, you know being on screen it's very filmic in places is that is that something you think about when you're writing um you know it's something i think i had to train myself to think about a little bit it's really it's so fascinating to hear you talk um about you know using your expertise in in terms of script writing um in your novels because i think i've had to go um you know really sort of train myself to think more visually um i i've written about this that when i was first um you know doing film criticism all those years ago um i i realized i was just like only writing about the dialogue and i wasn't like watching well enough and so i i actually um would force myself when I when I first would sit down to watch a movie I would force myself to sketch in my notebook like the first like the opening shot which was kind of hard in the dark but it was really good training um and so that sort of helped me you know force myself to think a little bit more visually 
And then with this novel, what helped was I did visit, I visited Wyoming where it's set. Um, I took a ton of photographs in Wyoming and in Northern Colorado, and I could kind of pull those out um, and remember um, as I was writing. And that sort of helped me remember what the colors looked like. Um, I'm also, I'm a big birder, so I did a lot of bird watching while I was there and a lot of, um, you know, watching, you know, watching coyotes and different animals and I made a lot of lists and that helped too to kind of keep things visual to remember what the sort of flora and fauna were like. That's a great tip actually, you know, taking pictures and making sketches of the opening image in a, in a movie, those kind of things. That, that's a really good thing to do to actually kind of train yourself and just kind of analyze below the surface level as well. I think a lot of us we say we're going to watch things for work and then we don't do any work. We just let it kind of wash over <laughs> us. Um, but actually kind of forcing yourself to actually say, you know, what is literally happening in the scene and what's the point of it and how does it actually add up to the story as a whole um, can really help you as a, a writer of anything, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also, um, I didn't watch Westerns for this because I didn't want to sort of bias myself. So I even like I forced myself to not I'd never seen Deadwood and I was really excited to watch Deadwood. My husband really wanted me to watch Deadwood with him. And I was like, we can't do it until I've like finished the copy edits. Like it's just going to get in my head. Um, but I did watch a lot of heist movies because um, there are particular scenes, you know, where the, the gang, you know, does some heists and does some robberies. And those were super helpful in terms of like, you know, I don't know about like how do people rob a bank or also how to make that exciting. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about like set pieces. I think those movies like really do a great job of kind of you build to the heist. This is the team. We're getting the team together. These are all their different skills. This is like the kind of like little security flaw at the bank that they're going to exploit to be able to, to make the heist work. And so those kinds of things were super helpful not just with visuals, but actually with plotting to kind of just see mm. how, you know, how screenwriters had handled some of these problems. Mm. Yeah, it's another great tip that actually, actually watching a different genre and actually taking the tropes and the uh, genre conventions and the expectations of that genre into another genre can actually make it suddenly seem incredibly fresh as well. Yeah, sometimes I think that's all I do as a writer is just take one genre and put it in another one. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's. I think it really works. I've got a, a big old list of tips that I've written down here. This is all very good stuff. <laughs> um, before we go to the book off, I just like to ask my guests what they've been reading recently. A question that I often get asked, and it sort of puts puts the fear in me because I could just never remember the book I've literally just finished <laughs> uh but hopefully you guys have got a better memory than than me um Lizzie has there been anything you've been reading recently that has uh, you know taken your fancy that you've been enjoying Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just finished a really great uh, action thriller with a female lead called Save Me From Dangerous Men. And that's by oh. S.A. Lelchuk. And it's about a private investigator who owns a bookshop. And I just love that idea. I would Because I would love to have a bookshop anyway. And then be a private investigator on top of that would be even better. Plus, she's like really kick-ass and she really hates domestic violence. So you can hire her on the side to beat your uh, boyfriend or husband or dad up if they beat you up and so it's it's a really it's a really kind of she's very Elizabeth Salander kind of meets um, Jake from uh, Chinatown and there's a really great conspiracy theory in there as well and it really really works and I really really loved it I thought it was really good fantastic God, I love those comparisons as well 
<laughs> I've actually just read a book by Sam Wasson all about Chinatown and the sort of last I love that years film so much. Well, mm. you should check out um, this book. I think you'd really love it, actually, Lizzie. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't love the guy who made it, but you know, the actual the actual film and the screenplay. The screenplay is just fantastic. It's just perfect. You know, everything's hiding in plain sight, um, and it's just so well done. It's staggeringly well done. It just feels like it was made yesterday, rather than is it forty five years ago, something like that. A really long time. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, the book, if you're interested, is called The Big Goodbye, and it's by Sam Wasson. And uh, I think you know, mm. we talk a lot about the screenplay uh, in it and you, you might find that quite interesting. Um, and Anna, what about you? Have you been reading quite a lot recently? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, always not as much as I want to, but um, but most recently <laughs> I've actually been reading um, this book called The Doctor's Blackwell. Um, and I'm going to be in conversation with the author this week, actually. So I've been, um, you know, getting excited about that. And um, the author is Janice Namora, and it's a nonfiction book. Um, it is about... Um, Elizabeth Blackwell was um, was uh, one of the first female doctors in the United States, so perhaps the first, um, you know. And obviously, there are lots of female medical practitioners, midwives, but this is someone who actually, you know, went to medical school and officially got an MD, um, which often, you know, was closed to women for a very long time. Um, and it's really fascinating for a lot of reasons. Mm. One is just, um, you know, learning about 19th century medicine, which is really terrible. Um, you know, you forget how many innovations are so recent or just like didn't exist in Western medicine. Um, you know, but people, you know, she visits, um, Elizabeth Blackwell visits this hospital like for her training. So this is like to learn about medicine and the hospital is like, you know, burying bodies. And then the same person goes and delivers a baby without washing their hands. Um, you know, so that level of just not understanding um, basic sanitation is really fascinating, disturbing. Um, but also just the personality of this person who decides it's like very important to her, not just to become a doctor, but she's going to become the first female doctor. And she, this is what she's going to do like for women, sort of for feminism, but is she a feminist or not? And the, the way that she, she takes a kind of a dim view of other women. So it's just this very fascinating look at like, the personality of someone who wants to be a boundary breaker and why they want to break, break boundaries and which boundaries they're fine with leaving in place. It's just very, very fascinating. I've really been enjoying it. Great. Well, those, both of those sound absolutely fantastic. So thank you for those. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
And now it's time for the book off. This is where each of you is going to get three minutes on the clock to tell us about a book that you absolutely love and you think that we should all read. It doesn't have to be a novel. It doesn't have to be new. It doesn't have to be a classic. It can be whatever you want. Um, But you only have three minutes. And at the end of the three minutes, when your time is up, I will either be ringing you out with the school bell or honking you with the horn. Uh, before we uh, get on with the pictures, we need to decide who goes first and second and we need to decide who gets the bell and who gets the horn. So, Lizzie, would you like to go first or would you like to go second? Um, I'd like to go first, please. All righty. And Anna, <laughs> would you like to be rung out by the bell or honked out by the horn? Oh, I'll take the bell. Okay, right. <laughs> so that's the horn for you then, Lizzie. So um, I'm going to put three minutes on the clock before we start it. Can you just tell us the book that you're putting forward? Okay, my pick is called The End of the World Running Club by Adrian Walker. Woohoo, very good. Yes, I read this a few years back, actually. Okay, well, it's over to you then, Lizzie, to tell us all about The End of the World Running Club. Okay, so The End of the World Running Club is a dystopian read. It's featuring an anti-hero, one of my favourite kind of tropes. Um, It's an end-of-the-world thriller, as the name suggests, and its asteroids have hit the UK. Multiple people have died. The UK is all but destroyed. Okay, Edgar Hill, our anti-hero, he's a reluctant husband and father. He does a terrible job of protecting his family at the end of the world. Now, luckily for him, they get evacuated to Edinburgh by the military, but Edgar barely learns from this. He avoids his family at the military base and he prefers to go out on patrols or walking around by himself. As a result, he and a small group of others get left behind when everyone else is taken to Cornwall so they can escape to the continent away from our wrecked little island. The roads are impassable, All the helicopters at the military base have left, so Edgar and his friends must literally run all the way from Scotland to the West Country so he can be reunited with his family and they with theirs. On the way, this band of misfits have to face unbelievable peril as the whole country goes completely Mad Max. Now, what I like about this book is it really plays with our expectations when it comes to characters and theme. Uh, So Grimes, our boss soldier, she's a woman and she's got a very overinflated sense of responsibility. We've got Bryce, a big bear of a man who used to live like an overgrown student. But it turns out that he's super emotionally literate in comparison to Edgar, the supposedly mature family man. There's even a teen mum who goes totally homicidal at one point, because why not? It's the end of the world and I really really love that actually because teen mums in stories are so frequently passive and tragic and I found this uh, you know reversal of expectation really refreshing especially because I was a teen mum myself but ultimately I think this book is so prescient which is why everyone should read it. It was published in 2016, but puts into sharp focus where certain people's thoughts and loyalties lie when there's an ongoing crisis today. We've learned in the current pandemic there are people who will literally do anything to deny the evidence in front of their faces, as well as refusing to empathise with those more vulnerable like them, with that euphemistic underlying health conditions, as if that makes disabled people and those living with chronic illness expendable. Edgar is just like this, but unlike those real people, undergoes a steep redemption arc when he's forced to confront his own selfishness and other shortcomings on the road. 
So there you have it. Read it and weep. It turns out that the end of the world running club is not some escapist fantasy, it turns out, but what really happens when humanity is in terrible danger. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, very good, Lizzie. That was ace. Thank you. A lovely succinct pitch. We can we we already we can tell that you work in uh, <laughs> in films. <laughs> You have a little rest now. We'll come back and talk a bit more about Adrian's book uh, very shortly. Fantastic. Um, over to you now, Anna, to step up. Before I put the clock on, could you tell us the book that you're putting forward, please? Yes, this is In the Distance by Hernan Diaz. Fantastic. Okay, well, it's over to you then. Three minutes on the clock to tell us about In the Distance. All right. Lizzie, it's a tough act to follow. And um, it's funny, I think I could talk about this book for for zero minutes or 30 minutes and maybe still not completely do it justice. Um, but In the Distance by Hernan Diaz, it came out in 2017. Um, and the New York Times described it as a weird Western, which I think is I think is apt. Um, it tells the story of Hakan, who is, uh, he starts the story as a Swedish teenager. Um, he comes to America with his brother, except that he's almost immediately separated from his brother and he shows up in totally the wrong place. He's trying to go to New York. Instead, he ends up um, first in South America and then on the west coast of the United States. Um, and then he's forced to do the opposite of what a lot of Americans did in sort of traditionalist Western narratives, right? People are going west, but he's going east. Um, he's trying to find his brother. This is the only thing he cares about. He just wants to be reunited with him um, and they can sort of start their lives together. Um, and over time, he encounters various obstacles, uh, a woman who wants to hold him captive. Um, he encounters uh, various um, sort of marauders on the trail. For a while, he's in a wagon train. Um, at a certain point, he actually becomes an outlaw. Um, he, I, I won't spoil by talking about the crimes he does, but, um, but he becomes a celebrated outlaw. He's known all around the country. Incidentally, he also becomes a giant. Uh, so he's so tall that he strikes fear into people's hearts when they look at him. Um, you know, and so in some ways he, he becomes this kind of classical Western hero. You know, he's a gunslinger. He's a giant. He's scary. He starts being known as the Hawk because his name is Hakan and nobody in the U.S. can pronounce the Swedish name. Um, you know, but then if you scratch below the surface, it totally upends the ideas of the Western. So... Yeah, he's an outlaw, but he actually feels really terrible about the one crime that he did. Um, yeah, he's a giant, but he also feels really terrible about how he strikes fear into the hearts of people. Um, and then at a certain point, he feels so terrible about all of this that he actually leaves humanity entirely. He starts wearing animal skins. He digs a burrow in the ground like a groundhog, and he lives there for a while. Um, it, it's hard to even do justice to how strange this book is. It's one of the strangest things I've ever read. Um, and you can call it a Western, but it's actually really uncharacterizable. Um, but it's also really beautiful. And, you know, even, even as, um, our hero is sort of having these exploits, um, he's also really deeply empathetic. Um, so he's very, he's very concerned about the taking of life. He's very concerned about plants and animals. He's super, super attuned to the world around him to the, to the extent that he, he sees a single bee and he realizes he must be near farmland, um, you know, and he also, um, although he's he's European. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> Cut down in your prime, Anna. Oh man. <laughs> 
the thing is listening i just knew that you could go on for another three minutes like i could i could feel it that you had so much more to say um but very well done i say in those three minutes um have a little breather now i i loved both of those pictures and um what i love about both of them is is without knowing it they're both from roughly the same year i think 2016 for yours lizzie 2017 for yours anna and they both sort of upend conventions which is which is something that you both said you liked about them um i have as i said read the end of the world running club lizzie and i loved it absolutely loved it i remember at the time thinking gosh this is a bit different hearing you talk about it again um has brought back lots of thoughts about it and and you're right that there were so many sort of great characters in it like the teen mum that you said um that sort of reversal mm. of representation and the fact that you know he edgar is just i remember thinking god who is this guy you know like what the hell why am i on his side why do i want him to be okay um and it brought it brought out a lot a lot of that to me but yes here we are in 2021 and you're right uh maybe everyone should read it because um did you say it was so pro- prosient Presiant. I, I, I'm not sure sorry. if. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly because I've, I've, now I think about it, I think I've only ever seen that word written down. But um, what what I loved about going back to this book was actually looking at the reviews on on places like Goodreads and Amazon and Waterstones and stuff like that. And so many of them said, "I really loved this book, but I felt it was a little bit OTT because <laughs> society wouldn't break down that quickly." And it's like, well. <laughs> I think it would. I actually think it would. And and now we have proof that it would, basically. Um, So I think everyone who hasn't read it, uh, or maybe the ones that read it before who thought it was too OTT, should maybe revise (laughs) their opinion. I don't know. (laughs) They just needed to give it another few years. That was all they needed. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. I didn't know of In the Distance, Anna. And after hearing your pitch, I want to know more. Yeah, I I do too. You know this this whole idea. I mean, it does sound so unbelievably strange, but in a in a brilliant and as you even said, beautiful way. You know, with the the fact that he's becomes an outlaw and then he becomes a giant, and it's got all these sort of classic Western traits, but he also you, he also upends them. And below the surface, there's you know something else going on, and then he lives as an animal. I mean, the whole thing. It's like I was as you were talking about it, I was thinking. Is this the same book, <laughs> or have we gone on to another one? You know? Yeah, um, <laughs> but I really, I'm really so. I know intrigued. I was worried about filling three minutes, but then I, then I was clearly could have could have talked for yeah, an hour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, wow. I mean, well done to both of you, and thank you very much for your choices. I uh, got to pick one to to take home, and that is very tough. But I think. For its sheer absurdity, I'm going to take In the Distance. Ah! <laughs> so congratulations, <laughs> Anna. To the, you don't win a prize as such other than the pride of winning the choice, the, <laughs> okay, the book off. Good. But Lizzie, yeah I, yeah, I actually only read End of the World Running Club once back then in whenever it was, 2016, mm-hmm. 17. So you've sort of, I feel like I want to pick it up again. 
after hearing you talk about it. So I think I might revisit it now to just sort of read it in a 2021 lens. Um. Yeah, well, enjoy. Yeah, I read it again about six months ago uh, in lockdown uh, one, and I was like, oh, wow, this is just so... Just so much in there that you know you would you would just expect now, especially with uh, certain people uh, needing to be told to do certain things, like put yes. on masks or yes. or just actually just think about their fellow humans. Basically, it's like God. What not be just not be so selfish? Yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. And then once that happens here, maybe we can send a bit of that over to the US as well, eh, Anna? Yes, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both for those brilliant pictures. Uh, And they're, I mean, two books, one I want to revisit and another that I definitely want to read. And if you like the sound of them, you should check them out. And you should check out the cover by Lizzie Fry because it's out now. It's published by Sphere and Outlawed by Anna North, which is also out now, published by Weidenfeld and Nicholson, both fabulous reads that would look very good on your bookshelf um lizzie anna it's been a pleasure thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having us thank you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.